my belief of magic, the fairy tales that I grew up on, the little life messages I got from Cinderella, be kind, be nice, good things will come to you. I started to realize that that really is all that life is really made of. It's not made of the money. It's not made of the cars. It's not made of the jewels. It's made off of the way that you can make people feel and the way that people can make you feel. It's about the love that we can share, the things that we can create. And when we do those things, that's when we then become limitless. because it honestly made me feel less alone, right? Because it was out there in the world. Whether or not people were reading it, it, it didn't matter. It was it was still out there in material form. Um, and then I started sort of performing it in my room, and then I performed it in front of friends, in front of my parents, then the New Yorkian. And after a while, I was like, yo, I love spoken word, but it feels like I'm not reaching an audience in the way I'd like to, right? I want to be able to connect with more people. And I was like, you know what? Spoken word is like a step below rapping. I'm going to try that. And I was like, I, I started writing everything in sort of lyrical format after that. And I was like, wow, I really love this. And then I started, you know, practicing execution and, you know, understanding what it was to, you know, format a song and how to do different verses and all of that. And it became really, it was really natural for me from then on. Not to cut you off, but what age were you when you made that transition from spoken word into rapping? I was 14. Gotcha. So I can promise you my first raps were trash. I think the oh, first, yeah, all of like, probably were. Yep. That's a rite of passage. That's a rite of passage. You have to. You got to be kind of nervous to be able to show your friends that first song. Oh my gosh. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, they're not going to take me seriously. Yo, one of the first instrumentals I wrote to was a Lotus Flower Bomb instrumental. And I was like, I cannot believe I'm doing this right now. Like, I just, I just remixed Lotus Flower Bomb. Like, this is, this is where I'm at in my life right now. But you know what? At that age, you could do whatever the fuck you want. It doesn't matter. Like, I was just doing it for fun. Right. But at the same time, I was doing it for, you know, cathartic reasons. Like it was really an outlet for myself and it really did make me feel less alone. And whether or not people liked it at the end of the day, that didn't matter to me. So around 
probably two years ago, I decided to make a switch to, hey, I want to do this seriously. You know, I really want to put music out there on streaming platforms so that it's more accessible to people because you just never know Mm -hmm. who this is going to affect and impact. And so I did that. And then I immediately had that overwhelming sense of responsibility of I need to make it. I need to get a lot of streams. I need to reach my organic audience and figure out who that is. And once all of those pressures of the musical culture and and artist culture came into play, I started to hate it. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is absolutely not what I signed up for. I sort of took a step back from there on. And um, and then I reevaluated, like, why am I doing this? And at the core of it, it's for connectivity, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't care if I connect to one person or to a hundred. And you know, so many artists say that, but then so many artists are like, super hype when they get all these streams, right? And I'm not going to lie and say, like, I don't get hype when I get, like, thousand streams on the song, right? No, I get hyped. But what matters to me more than that is, like, when I get these random messages on Instagram or wherever, and they tell me, hey, this one song really helped me get through a really traumatic time in my life. And, And I've gotten, like, a few, like, a handful of messages like that. And each of those, I could actually, like, recite and recall and like I keep in touch with those people because those are the connections that matter to me most like I don't know three quarters of the people that stream my songs and like to be honest like I don't really care for that it's those people that reach out to me and I can make Mm -hmm. connections with and it and I only was able to achieve that connection through being vulnerable and like releasing this music out into the world and that is the sole reason why I continue doing this like that is the only the only reason for me mm. do you feel like the the content of your music has changed whenever you started getting those messages because those messages feel good like whenever zim and i get feedback on any podcast episode it definitely gives us some energy it definitely just yeah. allows us to reevaluate and refocus and remember the mission that we're on yeah you know what it doesn't impact so much the content of my music because mm-hmm. what i've realized is that there's so much opportunity for to just play around with this outlet, right? I can do like a super serious content heavy lyrically based song. And then I could just do a song that sits in the background really nicely and like helps curate energy within a room. And either way, there's a time and place for each of the pieces that I put out. So I just really have fun with it at this point. And for me personally, besides that feeling of connectivity, it's about being unafraid to try new things to expand my skill as much as I can. Because at first, I did not feel confident doing this. Like I was like, I'm not a singer, but I'm not a rapper, though. You know, I felt all of those imposter syndrome feelings. And then what has helped me overcome that is just forcing myself to be extremely uncomfortable in making you know, certain tunes that I put out and just being okay with releasing that and seeing what happens. And some people gravitate to it, some people not. And that, like, I've become very okay in accepting that. Yeah, I remember I had a conversation with a friend a few years ago, which really resonated with me and has always stuck with me since then, where we were, he really broke it down um, with a metaphor sort of about like, you know, all of And he was talking about creative work in general, but I think songs and projects are a perfect example where it's like, Really what you're doing is just putting a seed out and like 
you know, you don't know where that seed is going to go. And like, right where you sit, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, it can only be one person or it can be, you know, hundreds or thousands or millions, et cetera. But at the end of the day, like, until you put it out there, you're not, there's no chance that that seed is going to get water. You're just, you're just keeping it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but stepping out of the comfort zone is definitely a, a big part of that to be able to, you know, you have to really check your ego if that's how you're going to, A, if you're going to pursue, I guess, being an artist in general, but also specifically mm-hmm. if you're going to experiment with that and like really make, try to make genuine connections with what you're doing, you have to check your ego or else that's going to steer you in the wrong direction. That's facts. There's a bigger reason why I also focus on sort of those really deep connections with people around me because I've sort of come to really dislike the culture of like admiring famous people that you have no connection to, right? I think there's so much more value in celebrating those people that are within your like closest circles, Mm -hmm. right? I feel like people oftentimes overlook the accomplishments of people closest to them. And like, I want to be able to not only give that out to people, but really appreciate and accept it when it's coming to me from those people that are really connecting to my music. And like, that just is one of the most important things to me because I really just want to make sure that I'm appreciating those people closest to me that also appreciate me be back. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That's what we're here to do is just connect with people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I feel like a lot of times what happens is people take those closest to them for granted and, like, mm-hmm. and, and not to get super dark or anything, but it just makes me think about like a lot of times, you know, people don't really get their flowers while they can smell them in the sense that like Mm -hmm. people who die young and then like then there's all these stories that come out about how great they were and how much like people love them but it's like you you just expect to be able to talk to someone every day or see like oh okay that person posted that every day like they always post it so it just becomes like a regular thing and you just sort of take it for granted that it's always going to be there and then when it's not there that's when you miss it and i mean that's like that's such a cliche right like that's a a tale as old as time really like that's that's, a fact that's been around why do you guys think that is is it because whenever we are listening or assessing what our peers are doing we we consider them essentially on the same journey as us, but these celebrities are people who are doing these major streaming numbers. Does it just seem the fact that because they're at that point where we're striving or for that sense of um, acceptance, is that why we sort of appreciate what they're doing a little bit more? I think it's like misplaced idolization based off of like capitalism. Honestly, like there is- It all comes back to capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Wow. But like, it's just so, there's so much focus on power and, you know, power being money. And, and, and a lot of powerful people have the ability to showcase what it looks like to be in power, to have money, right? And then we start idolizing what that looks like and start thinking, oh, this is what will get me happiness. And this is what will gain me acknowledgement, right? And I, I don't know, I think it, it it's a really weird phenomenon to me, because I sit back and I look at these people, I'm like, I, you know, I'll watch something on TV, and someone will say something profound. And then everyone in the room will be like, wow, like that's so true. Mm -hmm. And then your friends next to you in the same room will say the same thing. And you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. And it's like, man, people are saying profound things all the time. Just like in your ears and like take away that layer of, I, I think it is a layer of your ego because like you mentioned, it's like we're perceiving them to be on the same level as us. And so their words seem less impactful, but like all of these other people are also on the same level as us. It's just, 
we have this like false idealization of them that makes us perceive them as being in this like higher realm of the hierarchy that we live in, which is super untrue. We're like all humans. We're all trying to survive. We're all trying to seek something out of this like mm-hmm. hole that is our body. Like it's just like, I don't know, man. It's a weird thing to me. <laughs> well, to take it a step further too, even in that sort of, notion of celebrity says it and everyone's like oh that's great and then you know your friend says it and you don't buy into it there's also instances right where it's like because a celebrity or a person in the public eye has a certain brand already they can say like the smartest thing or like you could take the same phrase and apply it to different public figures a group of people will celebrate it when one person says it and boo it when another person says it and i think that and i think that sort of speaks to like uh Hold on, my bad. I tied my words up there. Um, <laughs> I'm, catching, I'm catching it though. No worries, yeah. People are not prone to abstraction is really what it comes down to. Like people, a yeah. phrase comes out and people can't separate what was just said from the person who says it, whether that's an instance of familiarity and like the person in the room with you saying it versus the person on TV saying it, or whether it's one person on TV saying it versus someone else on TV saying it. And I feel like that sort of speaks to the fact that a lot of times we can't even or we have trouble living in the moment in a conversation where, you know, we're thinking all these other things and like, it's hard to really just respond to something that's said without other things outside of what was just said, informing our reaction to it, you know? And then like to bring it back to capitalism, I really do think that within the realm of our network, even sometimes our peer groups, people do have that crab in a barrel mentality where they feel like sometimes if they then uplift you, it's taking away from whatever that they're doing. Mm -hmm. If we come from a mindset of abundance, like there's enough for all of us to go out there and get, you know what I mean? Yeah. And also um, you brought up a good point before in, in mentioning how one person can say one thing and then another person says another, and you'll agree with that one person, but disagree with the other person that actually speaks so much to uh, like politics right now and our tendency towards confirmation bias because mm-hmm. we want those people that we that are supposedly on our side you know share the same values as us to always be right and so we'll always confirm that what they say is the right way or is correct or we won't at least you know shame them for saying things that are definitely wrong and that if the other side were to say that same thing we'll say you know out with you, like, you know, leave the office, all these things, right? And I think we need to take a step back and start to evaluate that bias within ourselves and be able to, what what am I trying to say? Like abstract, what is the actual idea that they're speaking Mm -hmm. to? Take away the person and like really just analyze what that idea is and think to yourself, is this something that I truly stand by, that I truly believe in? And then replace that idea back into that human. And then you, you know, move forward with however you want to move forward. You know, tribalism is definitely strong nowadays, especially oh with my God. the internet and the way the algorithm is just feeding certain tribes um, information. And I'm right mm-hmm. there with you. Yeah. And you even brought up a good point with sort of um, the abundance problem, right? So I actually had a a moment to myself where or many moments, I should say, I, I should be honest, um, where I would, I was about to share something on my Instagram story. And I'm like, I don't know, man, like, this person has a really similar vibe to me. What if I like draw my audience away from myself and like, send them over to this person? Mm. What if they're better than me? And like, stripping away that ego and like that uh, selfishness to be like, quite frank about it is like, 
I think something that artists have to go through all the time, right? Is like there is room for everyone within the industry. It's just about accepting that and like taking away that, you know, capitalist driven mentality and saying we can all love one another. We can all appreciate one another's art. A million different people have a million streams on each of their songs. Like there is enough ears in the world and enough people that replay songs all the time for y'all to be heard. Like you will find your place. You will. And like, you need to really like strip away your ego and, and be okay with, supporting one another and be willing to support one another because that's all we have. Another interesting area that I feel like the the ego check comes in when you're an artist or when you're a creative or somebody who just puts something out in the world is that the idea that like once art is out in the world, the audience also has its role in defining it, right? And so I'd be curious on your end, especially like having started, you know, in, in spoken word, I would imagine that the lyrical aspect of the music is really important to you. Whereas there's a lot of people who listen to to music and don't pay any attention to the lyrics, which always kind of baffled me because I'm also lyric oriented. I'm like, you don't hear what he's saying right now? But anyway, <laughs> but, but like there's, there's sort of this piece, right? Where it's like, you could put a lot of energy and put a lot of yourself into a song and then you release it out into the world. And then not even necessarily getting a bad reaction, but more so it being interpreted in a way that you weren't expecting it to be interpreted or like you know someone says that their favorite line is this and they misquote the line which has happened to me before and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my but God. that's a, but that's a little bit of an ego check too that comes into it where you have to kind of acknowledge that even though you were the one who quote unquote made the song at the same time it's not your song once it's out there no yeah yeah that's a really good point and it kind of reminds me of that analogy about like the seed putting the seed out into the world and like having other people water it I sort of think about my seed just turning into numerous different plants by each different listener that that comes across my song and and I sort of have to just accept that off the off the bat like I put out music all the time and like you said I am super like lyrically focused that's the first thing I think about and I've heard people just give me feedback on like my tone of voice or like the flow of it right there's nothing that's necessarily focusing on the lyrics and it's like that's okay like everyone absorbs things and perceives music in a different way and that's just the way that they're always going to be and like I don't fault them for that I know what I wrote. I know what it means to me. How you perceive it is entirely up to you. And I'm okay with that. What's been the experience like um, listening back to your old songs since you have been writing it from like an honest place and being able to reflect back on that growth? I go through phases, you know, like right after I release it, after putting so much energy into it, I'm always like, man, I'm just so glad it's over with. Like it's out in the world. Like Mm -hmm. let people do with it what they want. But then I think I appreciate it more over time because I can see the growth, right? I, I've released more music now. I can compare it to one another. I can see, you know, where I stepped out of my comfort zone, where I stood in my comfort zone and, and really compare across the spectrum. And over time, since I have sort of this catalog of music now to go back to, I feel so much more appreciative of myself and like of my phases throughout my artistry. Before, like while I'm in the phase, though, I feel like I don't appreciate it as much because it always feels super awkward, super uncomfortable. And oftentimes I'm like forcing myself into like these different genres or instrumentals. And I'm saying, you know, it's going to pay off in the end. I'm like, 
really forcing myself out the comfort zone that I'm really mm-hmm. also hating at the same time. But I think later on is where I start to appreciate it. It's also interesting when, to your point, going back to like old things you wrote and seeing the growth, but then also going back to old things you wrote and being like, I don't know why I even wrote that then because it applies so much more now or it applies differently now. That's always an interesting oh, relationship. Yeah. yeah, that's actually a good point because a lot of my old songs, like I was in a different place mentally, like my mental health was not in a good place. Right. And like, I look back at it now and I'm like, so happy to know that I'm no longer in that place, Mm -hmm. but also being able. And so being reminded of that is a sobering feeling because I'm like, wow, like you don't acknowledge the kind of growth you have with, with your mental health until you read back lyrics like that and say, wow, I, I was not in a good place. And like, now I am. And that's, I can't believe I am able to say that, you know, there was a point where I thought I would never get out of this place. And now I am. And like, I think that's the best feeling that I get from looking back at my music, especially the ones where they're not on Spotify. It's like a lot of like private SoundCloud links that I could just go back to on my, on my own time. Yeah. And, and through. <laughs> the hidden archive is always has to be. Exactly. Good. This feels like a good place to pause because I realize, you know, we're, we're well into the conversation. We haven't actually done any introductions. So welcome <laughs> back to You Free, our communal podcast. Uh, it's your boy, Zim. We got Eric on the line. And who have we been speaking with? This is Aura. <laughs> I'm a lyricist from Brooklyn. Also something that I haven't mentioned that most people don't know about me. Um, I also work in the tech industry, working on products. So that's my sort of double life there. Oh, nice. Like a product manager or what, what element of product? Yeah, I'm a product manager at a at a health tech company. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird thing that most people that know me as Aura don't don't really know, but um, it's sort of my second passion. I feel like you should always have multiple passions in your life. And one of them is trying to fix the fucked up healthcare system that we have in little, little strides. From my understanding of product management, it's you have to be extremely organized and just have a sense of what's going to be the easiest thing for people to um, consume in a way, where, whether it's like UI or UX or even being able to like build that roadmap. Do you feel like that's also helped you sort of plan out projects or albums or sequence songs? Oh my gosh, absolutely not. Like I feel like (laughs) I compartmentalize my life so much so that like they do not interact with one another at all. But funny enough, like I think product management is a super creative job, but it's creative in a very different way from songwriting and you know my lyricism and my my singing and all of that I think that really it is coming up with an idea validating that idea and like nurturing it so that it can grow and that's where like designers and engineers come into play they really help collaboratively make this grow into something that can really help people and like that is why I love this job because We are contributing to patient-centric solutions that can help make it easier to receive healthcare when you need it, to access physicians and and access uh, answers to the questions that you have during especially a time when there's a pandemic going on. You know, I think this is the most important time for us to be thoughtful about what we're putting out into the world and what patients are consuming in order to get the answers that they need in in a timely manner. So it's a really interesting and refreshing change of pace from mm-hmm. from my musical world because 
it, it, I'm solving different problems. I'm accessing different creative outlets, but I'm still contributing to something that I'm passionate about. Where did your passion for the health come? I mean, you talked a little bit about the passion on the music side of things. And yeah. you mentioned specifically that this is a passion for you. Whereas I know a lot of folks who are, not a lot, but I know some folks who are musicians and have another job and they do not view that other job or that, that other way that they spend their time as a passion. They view it as a way that helps them support their passion of music. The the dream, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's cool um, to hear that, you know, you're passionate about both sides in that, in that way. So what inspired the passion on the healthcare side? Yeah, well, actually, um, my mom has always been in the healthcare industry. And she was sort of that parent that always pushed like, hey, make sure you get a job that, you know, can pay your bills. And like, you know, healthcare is a great, consistent job to have. She actually wanted me to be a nurse. And I was very quickly turned off to being a nurse because I just didn't want to go through that specific schooling. And I realized that I could not handle the sight of blood very easily after I like cut my knee really bad one time. <laughs> I was like, I cannot do this. Like this that, is not yeah. the job for me. And, and I was even like going towards like the medical school path. And I was like, I don't know, man, that just seems like a lot of freaking years in school that I do not want to spend only studying. Like I, I definitely have other passions as well. And then I found the world of, you know, the tech industry and startups and, and I knew, and I found out about health tech startups and I was like, wow, this is definitely probably the direction that I want to go in. And I started learning about what these different jobs entailed. And I found out about product management, which was really this idea of like coming up with ideas and then like building them to become products that weren't in the world before. And I was like, okay, that's a job for me. But all throughout growing up each winter, each Christmas, I would get a new doctor's kit when I was a little girl. So it's always some something that's been in the back of my mind. It's like in which way that I tapped into it that has changed over time because I really was convinced I was going to be, you know, on the front lines, but I realized that wasn't for me. And I found luckily another outlet that fit me so much better. And I'm so grateful for that because like you said, not everyone has that chance to have like multiple passions. And I just, you know, I'm so grateful for being able to experience that. I feel very, very blessed. It's good being in a place where you can also just see your IP go to work. And I think that's important as creatives. I also, Mm -hmm. go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say that uh, growing up, I was being pushed in this direction of law. Mm-hmm. And similar to you, it just felt like, I, I'm not sure if I really want to do all of that schooling. A lot of it is also just wanting to be able to just go out in the world and put something in practice. You know, exactly. I'm definitely like a, a hands-on person or I need to be able to take a shot at something. And even if I fail, um, just knowing like, all right, I had the opportunity to at least give it a shot. But if I'm spending all this time in school and not being able to put these skills to actual use, it's like, oh, what am I really doing? Am I, exactly. am I really following something that's, that's true to my heart? You know, There's like very little flexibility when you're just going straight through schooling. Exactly. And then like you're convinced that like you need this piece of paper to ever accomplish anything. And like that's just so far from the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, like what I've learned is that my schooling – and and I don't want to like knock it completely, but honestly, it's meant nothing to like my career. Like I, everything that I use and leverage is so much what I've learned from like talking to people and like like, my experiences. Like Mm -hmm. it's, I don't remember anything that I learned in school. Mind you, I have a master's degree. I still don't know anything. I still don't remember. It was like all just like baseline stuff, right? It's like, oh yeah, if I need to like, 
recall something, I'll just Google it and like, oh, I'll come back maybe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's not actual like, you know, things that I can extract easily on a daily basis. It's all just like experiential knowledge from my life. Well, that makes me think of, I actually was thinking about this earlier in our conversation and it just popped back in my mind, just like talking about, because I feel like a lot of times for people, it's like, like you said, it's a piece of paper, right? And the idea is that it gives you some sort of validation. And so what I was thinking earlier is this idea of validation versus affirmation, right? Where like we talked about getting those messages. I know I'm dropping bars today, right? (laughs) I'm just loving (laughs) it. I was also tripping over my words 20 seconds ago, but it's all good. Um, But yeah, this idea of validation versus affirmation in the sense that you know, sometimes we look to whether on the music side, it's like streaming services or an education. It's like they went to this university or they have this stamp of approval. Yeah, right. Yeah, and we yeah. look for things to, to validate us. That's not the goal. But the affirmation at the same time does go a really long way when you get that message of someone being like, hey, this what you're doing is really impacting me. And like, keep doing it. Keep going. It means so much more than what we turn to in terms of validation. Right. And I think that that sort of difference is key, because at the end of the day, it's like. We do want, you know, we don't, nobody wants to go through life just like only not hearing from others what they're doing matters, right? Like at the end of the day, we Mm -hmm. all do. I mean, we have to check our egos, but at the same time, beyond checking our egos, there is something that comes from knowing that, that you're working and serving. Yeah, just that someone sees you. Someone sees you and appreciates, yeah. Entire. And I feel like that's what a lot of this year was too. Being able to sort of realize that some of these papers and stuff that give us a sense of validation, a lot of it doesn't matter. It's like, who are you if you can't go into the office? You know what I mean? Who are you when you can't be the first one in the classroom or the last one to leave? It's like, where exactly do your values lie? Everybody flawed, I can never need you. Everybody flawed, I can never need you. Ain't nobody go, 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 go. Lord, I can never need you. Everybody flawed, I can never need you. Ain't nobody gaga, Yeah, let up, yeah. A lot of red solos and back of the crib Soho. A lot of them is humble, a lot of them go Sunoco. Gas off the likes, advice is not important. I still pray for your life, despite I'm not a part of it. I ain't by this industry, but this shit be important. And I ain't in your comments, your IG looks so exhausting. Had a premonition, you probably would switch up on me. The fire conversations, I miss them, so now I'm salty. Still want you shine, there's haters on your mind, there's strangers in your circle, there's angels by your side. I hate to say you change, you hate to say I've not. But fame run up and down, fame is suicide I can never hate you, you cool with everybody Guess I'm everybody too, still I'm thankful that God made you We had a great run, now go run away, it's cool Cause everybody flawed, I can never need you Everybody flawed, I can never need you Ain't nobody go, 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 go Everybody flawed, I can never need you Everybody flawed, I can never need you Ain't nobody got, 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 got. Everybody's hard and ain't hard to see through. She is my flaws and say, babe, I need you. When they get the eyes, now it's silver teaspoon. Wanna had it hard. Can't come up to my dog, tired of the Supreme glue. Bitch, you fucking with my dogs, leaving me with loose screws. Break your back against the wall, hey, you screaming, who, 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 I bought your pair of titties like a pair of new shoes You love your old nigga, now your life a brand new Your pussy like an engine, I hope it ain't ran through I couldn't see me housewife in you And now it's time to part, apart. Never thought you played the part And nobody got, got